Famous, the niche podcast within an even nicher hobby. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And if I sound a little bit more like a horse and a little bit less like the cowboy, because I went to a couple sports things this weekend, and uh, I don't have uh, much of a voice right now, but we're going to soldier on. Great time. I, I appreciate you soldiering on. And not talking about sports, because this is not a podcast about sports. This is a podcast about Michael. What you been playing? I have been playing Gloomhaven because, and longtime listeners of the podcast will know, even though we have played hundreds of hours of this game, done dozens of missions, my Gloomhaven group, after about four years at this point, I feel like maybe three and a half. It's still not done with Gloomhaven. <laughs> I was going to make a joke about Moses wandering around in the desert. <laughs> That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. We just did another mission that we had on our list of missions that are open for us, but not completed. And after we did the mission, we realized it was a side mission, not even a story <laughs> one. <laughs> so <laughs> I... I play on the Steam version, and I have I have the benefit of like the Steam version telling you before you start, like, this is a side mission. At this point, we should just check and see if it just <laughs> opens up another mission or something like that. I don't know. Figure out the story tree online or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just <laughs> We need what? to beat this game. Frosthaven's <laughs> coming out this year. Um, we also haven't played Jaws of the Lion. Frosthaven's coming out this year. We need to beat it. We have... All but two characters unlocked from the base game. Last I checked in, you were still playing the Berserker. Is that true? Or have you retired again? I am playing the Squid Face. Oh, the uh, Harrower Harvest, the Harrower Infested? Yes. Yeah, all right. Yeah, this game's been out for five years or whatever. Spoilers, I'm playing the the Infester or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I guess we shouldn't talk about what they do then. Maintain at least some mystery. However, it I would is, say I would say half of our listeners are your Gloomhaven groups, right? About a third. Okay. We've been gaining <laughs> we've been gaining some listenership, all right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that reminds me, I've been meaning to shout out the guy in Luxembourg who's been listening to us. <laughs> shout out to the entire country of Luxembourg, especially that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> the last couple missions that we played, they have been, I think, peak Gloomhaven. They have been balanced well with us being unsure on whether or not we're going to be able to complete them successfully and one of them it came down to the last round and we were able to do it successfully and the other one it came down to the last round and we were not able to do it successfully it was one of those missions where you had to kill all the enemies and there was some other special rules and we had one guy left (laughs) i expired before i was able to kill him oh no (laughs) and it was just oh it was it was bad but it was it was fun yeah i mean gloomhaven is incredible about creating those moments in games with it coming down to the wire it it really generates such excitement in those games i've i've never been shushed by ellen more than when i've been playing gloomhaven <laughs> yeah to use a quote from a story from whenever we were younger uh i like to use this quote in dire situations and just look at uh, my companions at the table my adventuring companions in gloomhaven and just say before i try to do something stupid we could be legends. We could be <laughs> legends. <laughs> <laughs> but what have you been playing, David? Well, because what I've been playing mostly has been the uh, sequel to Welcome To, which is Welcome To The Moon. Now, it's not the direct sequel because Welcome To had 
a follow-up called Welcome to L.A. that didn't do very well. I don't hear anybody talking about it anywhere. It's not on my it's not on my board game radar. But uh, Welcome to the Moon got a lot of good buzz. And I went to pick up uh, an expansion at the store, walked home with a couple of extra games, and one of those was Welcome to the Moon, and I haven't stopped playing it. It's one of my most played games so far this year. Uh, it takes the same core mechanism from Welcome to, where you've got three piles of cards, you're flipping them over, and it's got a number paired with an action, and you have to fill it in on your sheet. But Welcome to the Moon comes with eight different maps that you can play campaign style, and we're sort of playing the campaign. I've only made it through the first two maps because of how much fun I've been having with just those two. There's so much game in this box. Each map plays differently. And it's just a, just a little twist on just a little twist on the core me- uh, mechanic. So if you like Welcome 2 and you've been buying up some of those uh, expansion maps that they have for Welcome 2, uh, this is a good product for you. It's just it's the same core system over and over, but each map plays a little bit differently. For example, the first one, you're just filling up your rocket and it's more of a race, setting off combos by filling up certain sections. They're not a full street, you're, you're filling up smaller lines, and when you fill up a small section it gives you a bonus, and you're trying to get as many bonuses as quickly as possible to launch your rocket. And then the next one is, is the only other one I've played in this, in this eight campaign game is a single line that you have to fill in that is too long to be filled in by the numbers that are given in the game because you always have to write your lowest number on your left, your highest number on the right. But one of the actions that you can do charges up a section break. So you can put a new section in and then start filling up that section and then put a section in. And you have to make sure you're taking those They're like boring actions compared to the ones that score you points. But if you don't take those actions, you're going to run out of numbers to place really quickly. Would you recommend this version over the original? If someone was looking to pick it up, would you recommend Welcome to Original or the Space version? Well, that's an excellent question. Uh, Welcome to has a couple of advantages of Welcome to comes with a a pad and paper for uh, the mat that you play on. So you just rip it off and you can play with as many people as you want. Uh, Welcome to the Moon comes with erasable mats that you write on with markers, and they only provide you with six of each type of mat. This one caps out at six. Welcome to is, is more player-friendly. You can have more than just six. On top of that, if, you, if you're playing with a bunch of people who don't like the changing rules or exploring the mechanism of the flipping of the cards, stick with Welcome 2. Welcome 2 is a lower, uh, lower price point, so lower barrier to entry. But uh, if, you, if you think it's going to be a hit, I would go to Welcome to the Moon. Yeah, I definitely need to play that one. We played the original over Zoom for a family night and definitely really enjoyed that. I, I had played it before, but it's... One of those things that we were able to do, you know, remotely. And I had played it before with people, but definitely want to check that one out. Maybe maybe next time I go to the board game store, it'll be in the library or it'll be available at a board game convention. Yeah, I mean, we both gave Welcome to the board game famous, the coveted board game famous Gold Star. I think Welcome to the Moon is a worthy follow-up. It is 
one of my most played games so far this year. So what else have you been playing, David? Well, I've been playing one game that I could that I found along the way. On the road to the 100. <laughs> a little while ago, I bought a used copy of a Game of Thrones, the board game, second edition. Now, this one is outside of the one top 100 currently. I think it's sitting at somewhere like 160 on my personal list to play. It is number 93, so just barely scraping into the top 100 a few years ago, and it has dropped since then. But I'm sticking true to my list, trying to play everything that I can. And Game of Thrones the board game is an area control game from Fantasy Flight, designed by the same man that designed Twilight Imperium. So I was immediately intrigued, immediately wanted to get this to the table. And his name is... Christian T. Peterson. Uh, shout out to Christian T. Peter Peterson. <laughs> Wherever you are, we miss you, man. <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> so this is uh, an area control game where everybody is trying to get along until borders are formed in Westeros. You play as one of six houses vying for control of castles because once you control seven castles, the game immediately ends. This was done by placing little order tokens that you have in every area that you control. So you're giving a bunch of orders every single round. And then once everybody placed their orders, you flip them up and you start taking turns, taking your actions, getting getting your special abilities that you earn. And then you're spending your, your power and your influence to vie for position on a few tracks off to the side. And I found this to be a really good area control game. This is not my, not my favorite mechanism. I don't really care for area control games for the most part. But I had a great time with this. Definitely going to try and get it to the table again. I ended up playing House Baratheon. So I was shunted off to the east side of the island trying to to take control of King's Landing and then keep the Lannisters at bay. My favorite part of this game was those three tracks that you have to bid your influence on had extremely varying powers. But every single track was important. Uh, for example, the Iron Throne track lets you break every single tie except for combat ties in the game. So if like, oh, there, was, uh, there were events that say, oh, spend this influence and whoever spends the least amount of influence gets shunted back. They lose a castle, basically. I would get to decide who lost a castle because I, I was always at the top of the Iron Throne track. As is Baratheon's right. Below, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Below that was the, uh, the, the track for the Valyrian Steel Sword, and that's the track that let you break ties in combat, and also uh, gives you an extra fighty power and one mission. So it was a little less exciting, but the one that I thought would be the least exciting was the Messenger Raven track. Your orders, you have five different types of orders, which is... March, and that's how you expand your territories, defend your territories, support your territories, uh, gain influence, and then raid the other people's territories. So those are the five that you can do. But you only had two of each. Then the bottom track, the Messenger Raven track, the higher you up on that, the more special orders you could place. So you could place your, your super powerful ones 
But if you got to the bottom of the track, you were limited to only those 10. And you quickly gain more than 10 areas of control. So you need more and more tokens to place out. So the lower you are on the messenger raven track, we just kept trying to try to formulate how I feel about this game. Cause it was, those tracks seemed like just a distraction at first, just a little side part of the game, but it really came down to the bidding for power for position and jockeying for position there to give yourself the best chance at the game. I ended up winning. So that's probably a good part. A good. <laughs> that's probably why I had uh, such a rosy view of the game. Uh, but everybody I played with, we all thought it was well-balanced because in our, our four-player game, with two turns to go, we all had five castles. Every single one of us had five castles. And we were buttonheads. Oh, nice. We were buttonheads real close. It's just that fun surprise of everybody putting all their plans face down with their tokens at first, all their order tokens down. You don't know where each action is going to go. And then at the beginning of the round, you everybody flips them over. And you can you can get a base structure of how you think what you think somebody's plan is going to be. And if you're higher in that turn order, you try and disrupt it. You need to do what you need to do first. Uh, is it you know, I haven't played this game, you know, where else I'd be talking about it too. Uh, <laughs> but is it one of those games where you know and everyone at the table has to know that you're gonna be betraying each other during this game? Uh, that is that is likely. So I ended up playing a four-player game. I looked up online that, like, ideal player counts, should I play this at four? And the community on BoardGameGeek basically says this game is best at six, but playable from four to six. It says three to six players on the box, but the community says don't play three. And at four players, there's enough room on the board that you don't really need to make that many alliances uh, so we had a little bit of an east-west island going on. So I was teamed up with the Starks, and it was the Lannisters and the Greyjoys versus us. Nice. So that was, I was it was a good time. I felt like I, I earned my victory because before the last round, there was a an event where we bid for the order of the tracks, and I made sure to bid as much influence as I could to go first in the round. When everybody revealed their tokens... I could see who was planning on attacking me and I made sure that I attacked first because you only have at most three attack orders. So I attacked them and removed their march order so they couldn't steal attack. They couldn't ste steal a castle from me, causing my points to go down. And I uh, don't want to toot my own horn, but it was a really clever move. <laughs> uh, you were very smart. I was... Very good at the game. <laughs> so I could definitely see the influences uh, from Twilight Imperium on this game, but I have to give the edge to Twilight Imperium. And mainly because the way the map is set up, it's a, it's the same map every single time. And for balance's sake, if you're playing with four players, it's always the same four factions. You can't switch out. And then on top of that, there's only six factions total. So I could see it not having that staying power that Twilight Imperium has for me. So I definitely want to get it to the table again. But it's probably not going to stay in my collection forever. Um, I just want to get a couple more games out of it and then pass it on to somebody who will, who will enjoy it. Maybe it could be one of you, lucky listeners. Oh, yeah. 
if you show enough interest, sure, I'll give it to you. Uh, and it's easy to get to. Sorry, Luxembourg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, guy from Luxembourg. <laughs> uh, I do want to do a bit of a deep cut uh, for a second. I believe it was our second episode that we ever recorded. I told we were talking about was it was it episode two? We talk about table manners or uh, board game etiquette. You are asking the wrong guy, my dude. You were there. <laughs> yeah, I've been a lot of places. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one of our very early episodes. Oh. We talk about board game etiquette. And I, I mentioned that uh, I was playing with some people who pulled out uh, a sports game to watch uh, while we were playing a game of Parks. That happened to be my father-in-law and friend of the podcast, Joe, Joey, the, Joey, the grandpa. Shout out to Joe. Uh, those those were the two yahoos that uh, started watching basketball in the middle of our game. Well, my father-in-law was one of the players in uh, Game of Thrones, the board game, and he got wrapped up into it. was really into it. And after we finished, we were talking, we we're talking. And he just all of a sudden goes, ah, dang it. I meant to pull up a basketball game just to mess with you. Because. <laughs> oh, nice. Because apparently he li- he's been listening to our podcast lately, and or or Joe has been and told him about it. <laughs> nice. I wish you would have. I, th- I would have laughed so hard. <laughs> I, d- I do remember that now that you mention it. I, I I think I was able to name the basketball game as well, and you're like, it sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my thoughts on uh, Game of Thrones, the board game. I can see how it rose to the top 100. But I can definitely, I can definitely see why it's been slipping out and slowly going down. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to play another game in your list of top 100 from three years ago, four years ago, or whatever. That's like um, four years at this point. Yeah. But how about we talk about a game that we both played in Game of Fortnite. <laughs> This is the section where we where we talk about a game that, that we think should be held above all others, at least for the next two weeks. We're talking about Seven Wonders, designed by Antoine Bauza and published by Repos Production. So, you may be surprised to hear this, David, but the first time I ever played Seven Wonders was I was at your and what's-his-name's place. <laughs> Not Matt. Sean? Was this when you were living with Sean? I think yeah, so. When you're living when you're living with Sean and um it was a bunch of people in our uh nerd fraternity. I think either Fred or Joe taught me how to play. Oh, it had to have been or Joe. Just, had to have been Joe. And so Joe is teaching me how to play a board game sitting on the floor of his of your place. <laughs> <laughs> there may have been alcohol involved that night. <laughs> we had many a drunk many a drunk board game nights. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta tone it down a little uh, bit, though. I just said my father-in-law's been listening. (laughs) (laughs) So Seven Wonders is a card-drafting game where you are building up a civilization. So each play has a different civilization. And it is three rounds of drafting. So you're passing cards, you're keeping cards. You're passing cards, you're keeping cards. And you're passing cards, and you're keeping cards. And so... Each round, you are adding to your civilization in some function, either having a resource that you can have, or making it so you can trade better, or building up your army so you can fight battles with your neighbors. 
or so on and so forth. The technologies, buildings, whatever. Be building it up. And as you go from the first stage, so the first round, to the second, to the third, those cards stack on top of each other. They build, and um, they get more powerful as time goes on. And you score after each round, and the person with the most points wins. This is a game that's been around for a while, right? Seven oh, yeah. Came out. This is, I think this is one of the pillars of modern board games at this point. So you've got... Yeah. When people are mentioning modern hobby games that are good, good entry level games, but also like well respected as hobby games, you've got things like Ticket to Ride, Carcassonne, Seven Wonders is always in there. And not to put the cart before the horse, while I have enjoyed playing Seven Wonders, um, but just because I enjoy playing board games, (laughs) (laughs) I do not necessarily... I would not necessarily recommend it to someone as a board game entry kind of thing. I know a lot of, you know, my veteran board game friends have played it before, so it's super easy if we ever, in the rare case that we do want to get it to table. I have played it in the past year a couple times. It was fine. But yeah, I, while it is one of the pillars as you described it, and I've played it several times, maybe it's just that it doesn't click with me. Maybe it's the fact that I don't like that it's hard to build certain technologies off of each other just because of the randomness and we'll mm-hmm. get to that later uh <laughs> boilers uh, <laughs> the randomness of the drafting uh i think there are much better drafting games compared to seven wonders the first admirable thing that seven wonders does is a wide range of player counts that it plays pretty much the same throughout so it plays well three to seven players and hitting that seven player mark with a game of this type, typically when you hit that many players, you need to, to play some sort of party game. Uh, this plays pretty smoothly all the way through, as long as somebody is somebody is in charge of the passing and drafting of the cards. Uh, so that is that is some praise that I will lavish upon Seven Wonders. That being said, um, I was never going to love this game because. I don't like games that are drafting for drafting's sake, which is all Seven Wonders is. You're just keeping cards to yourself to try and score points. And to me, that's just not an interesting mechanism. I have played Sushi Go. I've played another game called Paper Tales. Heck, I don't even like Terraforming Mars that much. And that's got a major drafting component to it. But, I mean, I think it's well-liked because it's such an easy mechanism to get into, and it can play up to that many players. And in case you didn't know this, Seven Wonders is also in the top 100. It is in the top 100. I disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If I want to play a drafting game, and I will even play a lighter uh, drafting game, like uh, Sushi Go or what, Point Salad? Point Salad is technically a drafting game? I would say, I would call Point Salad a drafting game. Yeah, so those are lighter than seven wonders but you know i i enjoy them i enjoy them very well the difference to me for point salad over seven wonders and the reason i don't like the seven wonders drafting style i don't like the i have a hand of cards i take one and pass it and then i have no idea what i'm gonna get whereas in point salad it's a single hand that everybody sees right there yeah. and i see what people are taking and i i like that method of drafting better is that what you were talking about with randomness? Yeah, yeah, you don't know what you're 
going to get. And in Sushi Go, there's a much smaller pool of cards. You have a pretty good expectation of what's going to go around and the chances of getting a particular card passed to you based on specific um, scenarios. So I feel like you can control it a little bit better. If it makes you feel any better, I hate Sushi Go as well. <laughs> I feel indifferent to your feelings. I know that's the whole part. <laughs> <laughs> You're my counterpoint. <laughs> hate is What's a strong word. I will play Sushi Go. One of the most recent times I was over with my in-laws, we played Sushi Go. I probably won't play the next time I'm over because I need a little bit more of a buffer. <laughs> you and Sushi Go need space. <laughs> I do. I do need space. Now, I do like to try and match games to settings. I have played Sushi Go in a sushi restaurant. I have never played Seven Wonders at the Pyramids of Giza. Have you been to the Pyramids of Giza? I have not. Have you been to the Colossus of Rhodes? No. Just or you can, where, don't, or, don't name or, all of them. <laughs> I don't think I've been to any of the wonders. <laughs> My life is wonderless. <laughs> Anything else we need to say about Seven Wonders? I mean, it's uh, besides the fact, the, besides the fact that we have to declare whether or not we're giving it the uh, Gold Star Award, which no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> okay, before we get to that part, I just want to say, okay. I think it's worth a look. Definitely play it from your local library or your local board game store. It's incredibly popular. It is one of those well-known games. So it should be in just about any respectable board game store's library. So you should be able to try it out there. But our opinions are very much in the minority. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad game. I just I just don't think it's a an excellent game. Gold star game. Okay. I don't think it's a gold star game. Okay, that's so. good. That's a good way to phrase it. I also don't think it's a gold star game. So Seven Wonders gets zero gold stars. And don't add us. Um, actually, please add us. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we like the engagement. We'll respond to your messages. <laughs> we definitely will. <laughs> what, you think I have something to do? <laughs> shout out to our Discord. Shout out to our Instagram. Shout out to our email. Information on how to get those, we, we list at the end. And you would know that if you listen to the end. Mom. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, our long-anticipated mom episode is only two episodes away. And for our next segment, we're doing Brother Talk, the part of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want. And this time, I wanted to talk about Luck's place in a board game. Where does Luck belong? Michael was complaining about how Seven Wonders was too random because the decks of cards are too large for you to get whatever you want or whatever you need. That's not good luck in a game, in Michael's opinion, and also my opinion. <laughs> in a general statement, I say the shorter the game is, the more luck I can put up with. That's a good statement. I am going to shy away from talking garbage on kids' games as well, because everyone knows that Candyland <laughs> is garbage. In, in, terms, in terms of game design, it's not great. <laughs> I would argue that it's not even a game as you make no choices. Exactly. So, putting that aside, we're not going to focus on kids' games, just saying the shorter the game is, the more tolerant I am to luck, because sometimes a little bit of luck is good. A little bit of luck creates drama, because you were talking about Game of Thrones earlier and how you made particular 
action choices for very particular strategic reasons. And you described how you didn't know what was going to happen every single round. But that is not because of luck. That's just because you don't know people's strategies. And Twilight Imperium has a little bit of luck. Mm -hmm. It is a well-loved game. It is a long game. (laughs) Some Some people are not comfortable with that amount of luck that is in Twilight Imperium. Because, you know, you have these space battles that are decided by dice rolls in a game that lasts eight hours. Eight, nine hours, whatever. A long time. (laughs) And to have your plans foiled by an Ameritrash uh, (laughs) design choice. (laughs) Yeah, lucky roll design choice. It's not acceptable to some people. But I say that that creates good drama in a fun game. Mm -hmm. That is an appropriate amount of drama creation. Because there are still good strategies... And there are you still feel in control of your mm-hmm. actions, like whenever you win, and you feel like you deserve that win in Twilight Imperium, even with the dice rolls. Mm-hmm. Shorter games, randomness, fine, whatever. <laughs> you know it happens. <laughs> <laughs> as long as as long as it's over in five minutes, I'm I'm okay with blocking the game. So I've always yeah. described myself as a as a Euro gamer, and they are Euro games are typically characterized by having little to no luck uh, if you haven't seen pro zd's video about describing the difference between ameritrash and euro games you can pause our podcast and go listen to it right now but come right back it's a pretty short video don't forget about us <laughs> we're, we're still here we're still here we still love you <laughs> i find that i despise most luck in games unless it's in the form of dice because I think it's especially if you draft those dice. Oh, especially if you draft those <laughs> dice. Oh, dice drafting games are is the pinnacle of game design. That's I, I said it here first. <laughs> David hates luck unless it's all luck. <laughs> I, I hate luck and I hate drafting unless it's dice drafting. <laughs> I know oh. it's I know it's counterintuitive, and I'm trying to reconcile it within myself. And once I. Once I work through these feelings, I'll report back to you. But I haven't just—I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, but I, I do think that I don't like games that come down to a single die roll. But the more dice you're rolling, the more fun it is. The, the luck is mitigated in the number of dice that you're rolling. I don't like most push-your-luck games, but I, I recently talked about Cubidos, the dice racing push your luck game where you're rolling at minimum eight dice a turn and it's it's just a blast and i just think it's because of the amount of dice you're rolling do you need a critical statistical amount to make it fun for you i think so and i think that might be somewhere on the long the lines of seven or eight because you mentioned twilight imperium people don't like that because your your combats come down to dice rolls but my armies are usually Three or four ships carrying five or six fighters, so I'm rolling die after die after die, scoring a few hits each round. Yeah, there's a certain critical mass that you're uh, rolling, and like you said, it it occurs over several rounds. Most Mm -hmm. combats aren't settled in a single round like other games. Well, how do you feel about Quacks of Quedlinburg? Because for me, that is a push-your-luck game 
that lasts way too long because it's like 30 to 45 minutes. And that's just too much um, luck in a game of that. And, I mean, that's the core mechanism of the whole thing where you're pulling tokens out of the bag, trying not to bust and trying not to pull the bad tokens out. I think, and I haven't played a lot of pushy luck games, and mm-hmm. I think what Quacks of Quedlinburg does well is that because you are pulling chips out of the bag, trying to see how far you can go mm-hmm. before uh, you either stop or your potion explodes, um, and you end up in a worse situation, is one, you can be a little bit of control of, of your bag composition such that it takes takes a little bit of the luck out of it. You know, It's still there. You can still have bad rounds. I think one of the things I like about luck in this particular sense, and it's that it's the drama. It's the sitting around the table and sitting across from one of your friends and seeing them sweat bullets <laughs> because they know they have to give it a go at this critical moment. And Quacks of uh, Kedden Woodberg has a really nice catch-up mechanic as well, that if you have a bad round, it doesn't screw you mm-hmm. for the entire game. If, like, if, you, if you fall back in points early in the game, it has a thing to help you catch up later. So even if you have bad rounds, it, it mitigates a lot of that bad luck for players as well. So I think that's the key thing is, one, the drama, and two, it has a core mechanic that helps mitigate bad bad things from happening. I think... I think you're right. You keep mentioning that it's the drama, and that is something that just isn't in Euro games. Every Euro game I've ever played has ended with a nice, firm business handshake, but never cheers. It's the luck that is inserted in the game, that uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen, and you hope it goes your way, and it's just exciting. I have... No excitement in his life. <laughs> I wake up and I eat bland oatmeal. <laughs> I mean, that's what my game collection would have you believe, uh, for the most part. No, I'm I'm just trying to think about some of the most exciting games that I've played. The 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 not actually the most exciting, but the the most memorable games that I've ever played, and a lot of them have to do with situations regarding luck. You were talking about Gloomhaven earlier. I remember distinctly a mission that we played. I was the last character alive. I needed to kill one more guy. And the card I flipped off the top of my deck was the times two multiplier. And I blew this dude to smithereens. And we cheered. And that is something that has never happened with a Euro game. Nobody cheers during those. Uh, You're playing with the wrong group of Euro gamers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you just sold your corn for six coins. Where to go? <laughs> you didn't have to put on the German accent there. <laughs> uh, fun history lesson. Euro games used to be called German style games because they were <laughs> predominantly from Germany. I mean, Germany has, I was going to say birth, but I don't know if I want to say, <laughs> say that. Some of the best board games for the longest time came out of Germany. They yeah, were the ahead of, Euro they were style. Ahead of, <laughs> they were ahead of the curve whenever it came to the board gaming hobby compared to the United States or other countries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody cheers in Euro games. You don't cheer in uh, Euro games. You pull out the calculator. <laughs> you pull out the calculator. The quiet. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I got 379 points uh, because of my blah, 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 and I met this objective, and I made this much corn, and I shipped it, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so how many points did you get? Oh, I got uh, uh, 421 points because of all <laughs> <laughs> And like I said, yeah. it just ends with a nice business handshake. So yeah, while yeah. I while I am a fairly hardcore Eurogamer, I can see Luck's place in games to create those exciting moments, to create those stand-up-and-cheer moments. And uh, while I do prefer games with little luck, if the game is about luck mitigation, I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah, and Gloomhaven has that where as you level up, you get the check marks. And you get to change the composition of your deck so you can take negative cards out and put better cards in mm-hmm. and has that mechanic. Yeah, that's something I've always enjoyed. And the next section is mail time. And this question is brought to you by me. Well, kind of not me, actually. Someone posted something on Reddit and I was like, oh, that'd be a good question to do on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and... I don't know what that Reddit thread is anymore, so shout out to you, person. I'm not going to look it up. So I was going to say, but, are you going to post this podcast and reply to, on their Reddit thread? Listen to this 45-minute podcast to get your answer. So, like most things, if the thread is more than a day old, it's usually dead. No, one, no one's going to read it. Right? <laughs> uh, and at this point, it's been out for a couple weeks already. At time of recording, which is going to be even more for by the time this is released. <laughs> but no, the question is, what is your favorite board game for the following player counts? One, two, three, four, five, and six. Why did why did you just say one through six? I was waiting for you to skip a number. <laughs> it's the drama, David. It's the drama. <laughs> All right, David, what do you got to say about this? Oh man, playing and you can only and you can only pick one game per category. Okay, that's that that shouldn't be too hard for a solo game. I got to give it to Calico. Not only does it play pretty much the exact same as a solo game, but the one twist that it adds to your choice uh, makes your decisions much more meaningful. To emulate a player taking a tile, instead of having three random tiles to choose from, they're ordered from newest to oldest. And after you take a tile, the oldest tile goes away. So whichever tile you draft, you know which tile is leaving. So you have to make clever decisions to get all the tiles that you want. On top of that, it comes with a great, uh, a great campaign book. I don't like solo games that are like, hey, beat your score. Uh, the Calico campaign book comes with like, all right, you're playing under these conditions. You need to meet this requirement and get at least this score. So it's more than just beat your score. So I think Calico did a really good job for solo games. And that's just that's just player one. That's just one player count. You're, you're trying to make me have so much to edit for this episode. <laughs> I, just, I just like talking about games. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's number two? <laughs> uh, number two of late has been Lost Cities. Uh, a pretty fun style uh, card game that I got. I heard it described as Racco for board gamers and Racco is just a mass market style game where you're trying to order cards from lowest to highest um, to score points. Well, the thing is, Ellen grew up playing Racco with her grandma a ton, so she has really fond memories of it. So I bought Lost Cities because I was like, oh, she's going to love this. And we play it all the time. 
the app was recently released for free for like a limited time. So we both got the app and we've been playing Lost Cities online a ton of times. It's just a great little card game. For three players, I would have to say uh, Alien Frontiers. This is a, oh man, dice worker placement. I love a dice worker placement game too. Every round you roll the, uh, the, your dice, which are your spaceships, and you play them out on, your, on the board, taking up spots, taking actions, all that kind of goodness. It's really, really good at three players because the two players who were not in the lead really need to focus down on harming uh, the person in the lead. They need to hinder them, take the spaces they want, or steal their resources. I, I think that game just shines at three players. Four players is actually my ideal player count. I love to play with four players. So just just about any game, I think I'm going to put Dominion in there because that's the game I've played the most at four players. Grandfather of all deck building. Good choice. Just solid, solid action fun for four players. Five players is probably the bane of my collection for choosing a game. Uh, at that point, I'm starting to run out of like the more strategic light games that I like to play. Or like the strategic games that last only an hour. Uh, so I think for that one, I'd have to pick uh, Obscurio, which is a uh, fun little game in the line of Dixit and Mysterium, where you've got all these weird cards with all that esoteric art on it, trying to give visions to players. One of the players trying to escape the library, which is the goal of Obscurio, is actually a traitor and trying to keep everybody trapped. It's a fun time. I like that one a lot. And then finally, for six players, I'd have to go with TI4, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. If I'm getting that many people together for one board game, it's a board game I'm going to play all day. I was waiting to see if you're going to name your favorite board game in any of those player accounts, and uh, the answer was no, which I think was an interesting Well, I like like Everdell at 2, 3, and 4. I picked the (sighs) games that I think shine at those player counts, or for like 1 and 2, it's just like, Calico has an excellent solo mode, and Lost Cities is a two-player only game. <laughs> All right. What about you? It's a pretty good list. Pretty good list. Um, Thank you. So, I don't play solo board games. I like board games for the social aspect. <laughs> I, I can't motivate myself to set up a board game if I'm not going to... Plus, if I'm not going to be playing with other people. So, I'm going to have to say my favorite uh, board game with a one-player account is Solitaire. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> i know spicy uh shout out <laughs> shout out to uh davis who also put that in our discord shout out to our discord <laughs> <laughs> so for player count of two if i'm playing a board game with only two people myself and one other person it's usually with my girlfriend and so it would probably be a game that we played together and there are a few to choose from that we enjoy playing together, but I probably have to go with Patchwork, a game that we picked up in the past year. I thought you on were one of say our that. vacations. Yeah, because you know that's the game. You know, like like Alan is your main board gaming partner. I wouldn't say my girlfriend is my main board gaming partner, but if I'm playing a game with only one other person, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Patchwork, you know, nice uh, nice puzzle of getting buttons and putting patterns down on a quilt. And it's it's all, it's, it's all about buttons. It's, it's way more ruthless than you think it's going to be. <laughs> oh my god, it is. I am glad that we don't have hurt feelings after that. <laughs> because I can be burned. She can be burned. We still have fun. <laughs> Alright, and then add a player count of 
three. This is where it gets interesting because I don't think a lot of I don't play a lot of games with three players, so mm-hmm. I usually play with a lot more people. And we play all the same game. I'll just say for my three, that game that I enjoy a lot is I know this is surprising, but I I enjoy playing just one with three people because you hmm. get to pick two words. So, oh, and if they match, you get nothing. Uh, yeah. Well, if they both match, then you get nothing. <laughs> uh, and then with a four-player count, uh, I don't know. Can't think of anything. <laughs> no games. You think no games play good at four? <laughs> There's a lot of games. I'm just, <laughs> I'm getting tired at this point. <laughs> this, is only, this is the only night that I'm free to record this week. Favorite game at four-player count. Um, also going to go with Dominion. I almost Whoop. said Monopoly <laughs> just, just to screw with you. <laughs> uh, no, Dominion, definitely four players. Definitely a lot of good time. Card drafting, not not card drafting, deck building, super fast, super fun. Hell yeah. Five-player count, terraforming Mars with the asterisk of you have to play with Prelude and not play with that newest expansion that has the world government because mm-hmm. I think it adds a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be there. But it is another card drafting game and it's pretty fun. You like it at full? You like it at the full player count? I know that BGG says that it's best at three, but I like playing it at five. Well, I think it's best left on your shelf, but I'm in the minority there. (laughs) For number six, you said an event game, and you said Twilight Imperium. I'm going to have to go with a game that I get to the table a lot more than Twilight Imperium, and that would be Scythe. I like playing Scythe with six people. Six people who know what they're doing. That way you don't have to wait super long on someone else doing their action. And you can just sit around the table and go bam, 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 bam as you position your troops, gather resources, do combat, ooh and ah at the cards, because that's a rule. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And have a good time. I would say at this point, 99% of the time that I play, everyone already knows the rules, so we can just... We can just play, go, have a great time. That is a good answer. Do you want to give a shout out to the people in our Discord? Any uh, any other good choices they had? Yeah. Chris from our Discord said 7-plus uh, Secret Hitler. I do like Secret Hitler. Mm-hmm. Twilight Struggle. Have you played that one? Two no, players? No, it's, it's on the road to 100, so maybe we can get that online sometime next week. Uh, one of my friends put for three players, Quacks of uh, Quinlanburg. Which I think is interesting because he bought two copies so that we can play with up to eight people. <laughs> plays best with three. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's that's an interesting. <laughs> Those are some good choices. <laughs> well, now we've come to the end of another podcast. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end. If you have any more board game needs or want to ask us just another random question, you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or you can join our Discord with the link below. Or you can follow us on Instagram with the link below. Really, pretty much everything you need to know is in the link below. I hope you guys have a great day. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.